This is Purple Elephant, where I bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have Charlie Beswick. We talk everything from autism, mental health, golden heart syndrome and everything in between. I think you're going to love this episode. So every hurdle will have a challenge and it will have a lesson and we'll grow through it. Um, and I'm just incredibly grateful to be my boy's mum now, although it's not a life I would have picked at the beginning. If you could have taken me back to the day they were born, um, it, it's not something I would have ever chosen, but it's not something I give up now. Welcome to Purple Elephant, Charlie. I'm super excited to have you on. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. So just to jump straight into it, could you introduce yourself for people that don't know who you are, what you're about and what you do? Wow, okay. That's... <laughs> sounds like it should be a really simple answer uh, and you'll find your listeners will find nothing's quite simple with me so I'm Charlie Beswick I live in Stoke-on-Trent I am a self-confessed cheeseaholic and gin lover <laughs> I am also mum to 15 year old twins Oliver and Harry and I'm stepmom um, to Benedicta and Harrison as well so we have quite a, a big mix at home when my twins were born, we found out that Harry had been born with something called Golden Heart Syndrome, which is a rare craniofacial condition. And for Harry, that meant that he'd been born with no eye, no eye socket, no ear, no nostril, and a short underdeveloped jaw all on his left-hand side. And we were also told that he may never walk and would probably have brain damage. So um, my, my reaction to, to that was awful. It was, I was just full of grief and guilt. And my experience of parenthood was really different to what I'd expected and really, you know, nothing that I could have ever predicted because I was told I was having two perfectly healthy babies. Mm -hmm. Harry was diagnosed at two and a half with autism. And by the time the boys were three and a half approaching four years old, my marriage had um, just completely broken down and I became a single parent. Uh, I was also a full-time primary school teacher at that time. But as Harry's grown, well, as both the boys have grown, Harry's required a lot of operations, therapies, appointments. And I'm, I realise now with a teenager, with teenagers, that I'm not traditionally employable nine to five. So in answer to the what do you do question, <laughs> other than eat cheese and drink gin. Which is I, the best life. <laughs> so is, it so is. Um, that's like my default coping strategy. But I, uh, I teach two days a week in a local high school, just in a casual contract. And that sort of pays the bills and keeps things ticking over a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's not my passion anymore. It has been for 15 years. It, it, it isn't now. Um, I also blog and I'm a published author of Our Altered Life, which was a, an Amazon bestseller for a while i am a charity founder of a charity called more than a face so i go into schools and i educate children and young people on facial disfigurement and any sort of visible difference really and just raising awareness and skilling people up in in not in terms of just how to interact with other people but how to see them and how to consider people that might look a little bit different to themselves Mm -hmm. And then I'm also a speaker, a trainer and a coach. And that tends to be around the self-talk that we engage in, uh, the things we say about ourselves to ourselves, just because mine was very destructive at the beginning of the journey. I was filled with, you know, um, it's your fault. Harry's been born like this. You failed him. You've let him down. Um, your husband blames you. So that was really destructive for me. And, and now I like sort of helping people identify and challenge the self-talk that might be holding them back so that they can then go on to find their own personal and professional success. 
Mm. That is really super powerful. I think as someone that's read your book and my God, guys, if you haven't, we're going to be linking it in the show notes. You need to read it. It's, it's a bestseller for a reason. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful because I think, although I'm not a parent myself, being told by the doctors in your mind that you have two healthy babies, you know, twins, twins carry excitement and risk generally anyway, but you've got two healthy babies and then one of them doesn't come out the way you expected. And you've got all the emotional uh, drama on top of that. And then having to cope with being a new parent must have been absolutely Oh, I, I couldn't even put it into words because I'm because I'm not a parent. I, I don't know, but you illustrate it beautifully in the book. And I think touching on the point that you say about being a speaker and a coach, especially, you're channeling that energy of positivity and where you've got to and the support you've been given and how you've supported yourself throughout the years and channeling that into helping parents I'm guessing especially with the negative self-talk because I think that's so important we don't realize how negative we are to ourselves if you were to sit down and talk to your best friend you would never talk to your best friend the way you talk to yourself in your head and I think raising a child with any difference regardless of disability will also kind of promote in your own brain am I doing this right I'm not good enough etc 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 so you've got many facets and many hats well, it's extraordinary that you've, you juggle all these things and you've made a success out of it. But I think yeah. that just shows that your, your passion, your drive is there. But because you have so much to offer, that's exactly why it works. And I think, I know, I know what you're saying about not being a parent yourself, but I also think any life where you've planned out, albeit subconsciously, what it's going to look like, when something happens and it takes that away from you, so that could be, you know, it could be death and it could be a redundancy. It could be a marriage breakdown. It could be illness or disability that happens to you that you didn't expect. Mm. When challenges come in our path, we grieve and we grieve in a way. Lots of my clients don't really see that you can grieve for events in the same way that you can grieve for lost people. Mm. Um, so, you, you know, you can grieve for lost opportunities, lost experiences, and it's about being kind to ourselves and, and as you've said, not beating yourself up and, and just accepting that it, it's a, it is a grief and it is a process that you need to go through. And I, it's really hard because, yes, now I am super positive and I love sharing what I do, but it makes me sad to think that people think that's been an easy thing. Oh, you know, absolutely they, not. If you read the you know, book, you illustrate yeah. that beautifully, yeah. Yeah, and that was the point for me. When I wrote the book, I wanted it to be for the mum that I was right at the beginning of my journey when everybody was saying, you've got this, you know, you're so strong. You're a really positive person. You've got this. It's fine. And I just needed somebody to say, this is shit. This is, Mm. you know, this is a really bad time and allow me to just feel sorry for myself and have that pity party and then say, right now, pick yourself up. Let's, let's move on now. Um, And I didn't really have that conversation with anybody. And I think that was a real important part in why my mental health deteriorated is because I just pretended I was okay when I wasn't mm. I think it's I'm almost gonna go really far out here and, and bring another like umbrella topic but you said about your mental health there and I think unfortunately we're in a, a pandemic of mental health crisis as it is and I understand that there isn't funding and we don't have that sort of support unless you can afford to go private but I think if 
if you come into, as you say, you can grieve anything and it's okay to grieve anything. We should be getting, I, I personally believe as someone that's received counseling, that this should be like an open door to everyone and it should yeah. kind of happen in each stage of your life. So becoming a parent, because it's going to be tough. Like I'm, I'm aware that when you're a parent, you do have more services at the beginning of your journey to support you. But what, you know, once, once it gets to the fact that, okay, you've, you've been taught how to kind of just cope with the sleepless nights and everything else that comes along with it. What about your mental health? But having mental health issues and having no support is, is really detrimental because it, it, it makes you feel like you're alone constantly. Even, even if you've got family and friends that are cheering you on, what you really need, as you said, is someone to turn around and say, yes, this is shit. And actually it's okay for you to scream and cry and get angry, even throw a few things, because if that helps, then crack on. Bringing it back to what you said, I think the, the kind of steering it in the direction of letting people know it's okay to grieve and have a grieving process through anything is really, really important. And I personally went through that myself with when I went through sight loss. I actually applied for counselling before I'd lost my sight completely because it was deteriorating that quickly. But it just so happened that the day after I lost my sight because I chose to have an operation was the same day I started my counselling. And that I honestly put a lot of my my wellness into that because I think if I didn't have counselling from the moment I'd lost my sight completely, I don't think I'd be here today. And I've had I've had moments and negative mental health moments where it's really gone downhill and I've had to seek even more support, even more help. I'm still on antidepressants and I have absolutely no issue sharing that. But it's it's a journey because it's a loss, but going through each stage in life, it's I think that's why we need support because there's no handbook to life. So no. yeah, I, th I think what you do is really, really amazing because as you said, you weren't like that at the beginning and all power to you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have felt like you could handle it because you didn't, this wasn't your normal. You didn't expect it. So the fact that you've now channeled it into making everybody else feel better about their situation and support them through that is, is really incredible. Yeah, and I think a couple of things to pick on on the language that you use there is one of the words that I encourage my clients not to use um, is the word should. So because the word should is is littered with judgment and expectation. Mm. And I hear a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I shouldn't or I shouldn't feel like this because other people have got it worse than me mm. or, you know, I should be coping. And actually, no, the way you feel is valid because that's the way you feel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's about taking and reducing those expectations and that comparison with other people, because, you know, that's just never going to, it's never going to help us is comparing ourselves and actually comparing ourselves to who we were in the past can be really damaging as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all any of us have got is right now and right here. And it's about doing what we can with what we've got right to, you know, sort of today. Um, and that's definitely been a journey for me, as you know, from the book, you know, that's, that's really been a, a hard journey for me. Uh, and if I can help people to realize that and just scale up a little bit themselves, then, you know, that, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can we touch on you, um, bringing up twins, but having Harry who's autistic and the diagnosis and how that made you feel? Cause without sounding too cliche, you must've gone through Helen back as it was with everything with Harry. So to then have a diagnosis on top of that. And again, I know you touch on it in the book and I'm definitely steering everyone towards reading it, but 
just for the listeners, how, how did that make you feel as like another hurdle to overcome? Yeah, I think the issue with Harry's autism is that we'd, we'd sort of seen a difference in the behaviour between Harry and Oliver. Mm-hmm. And for a while, uh, it was sort of, you know, is it developmental? Is it just different personalities? Is he rocking and stimming because he's got limited vision and hearing? And then when we received the diagnosis of autism, I didn't feel the same guilt that I felt around the golden heart syndrome, but I did still feel responsibility because autism um, runs in my family, um, in my dad's side. And to me, I, I, it's my personal belief that autism is a genetic condition. I know people have different um, theories, but I, I kind of had visions of this rogue gene that was running through my system and then passed on and chose Harry on top of everything else he'd got. So it felt unfair but I think the diagnosis was just confirmation that we needed. So, you know, yes, I sobbed. Yes, I felt awful. Yes, I felt that it was it was something else that had been taken away from us. You know, I, I worried about the relationship he would maybe never have with Oliver. Um, but it, it wasn't the same sort of powerful reaction as it was the Golden Heart Syndrome. I, I think with autism, we'd had a little bit of an inkling that something wasn't right or something wasn't the same as Oliver Mm -hmm. so in in some ways it was a little bit of a relief to have a a reason why Um, and I I kind of mistakenly assumed I would get more support with a diagnosis of autism that's not always the case uh, Mm -hmm. for parents with children with autism Um, but yeah it was definitely something else to wrestle with and I know I got in the car um, my husband and I had gone to the appointment separately because we both come from work and I got in the car and I cried. And, and then by the time I got home, I'd kind of pulled myself together and thought, right, just deal with it now, you know, in the sake of sort of 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and we just sort of tried to get on with things really. But yeah, it was definitely difficult, but in a very different way to the golden heart syndrome. Mm-hmm. And do you think, uh, harping back to the mental health side of it, do you think if you'd have got support from counselling and things like that, would that have helped you regardless of support for Harry specifically do you think that would have helped you as as a parent and as a couple yes massively yeah I think it wasn't until my boys were about six years old and I had a you know a real sort of relapse in my mental health that I realized and I was able to look and think I did have postnatal depression very severely Mm -hmm. um, and nobody ever picked up on that there was no doctors there was no health visitors there was nobody that was looking out for me. You know, everybody was concerned with Harry and rightly so, you know, the, the boys were premature. They were 32 weeks when they arrived and I'd had an emergency cesarean. So there was a lot of drama around their arrival and they were three pound nine. So they were tiny. So rightly so the priority was getting on, you know, getting my boys well, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there was a woman who had become a mother to a disabled baby and another child who'd had major surgery because that's what a cesarean is you know it's a big operation Mm -hmm. and they were premature and the rug had been pulled from under her feet and nobody thought to check how she was or help her up Mm -hmm. and so yeah I think had I had postnatal um counseling I think things would have been probably a little bit different um Mm -hmm. and one of the things I didn't do was was talk about that to my husband so we didn't have those conversations because I felt that I'd failed him enough already and I didn't want to be the wife that was crying and blubbering and a wreck I wanted to be somebody that would make him proud because I felt I'd failed him and equally he didn't he knew I was struggling and he didn't want to talk to me about it and make me feel worse and he 
you know, got about his day being the man about the house and earning the money and, and doing all those practical things that our family needed. And so we just never talked. And I think if I had had therapy, they might have encouraged me to, to discuss those things with Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying we'd have still been together, but, you know, you just don't know. I, I definitely think therapy would have helped me personally. Absolutely. I, I think from what you just said there, I don't know if this is just humankind. We were so guilt is such a strong human emotion anyway, but to add layer upon layer onto that for underlying reasons behind guilt, whether it's, um, you know, you, you've just listed so many traumas that just happened to you and then feeling that guilt as a, as a mother and then a a new mum as well. And your husband probably felt so much guilt and trauma around he, you did all that with your body and those boys have been through all that with their tiny little baby bodies. And he just had to stand by and watch it all. And I think we were so conditioned to not talk about our feelings and, and keep it locked in and shut down because we don't want to offend the other person or upset the other person. And I think again, highlighting mental health and why it's so important to talk is that maybe it would have been easier on both of you and I think as you said you feel that yourself on both Mm. of you as parents as humans as individuals of just being supported through mental health support systems things could have been so much more different for both of you yeah no I, I definitely agree and I think although trauma is experienced individually you know it's it's a very personal experience the the ramifications of that are very very wide so there's very few traumas where it's just that one person that's affected you know there'll be a knock-on effect so in my case there was my husband there was also my mum who really struggled because I was her baby and she was watching me crumble um you know there was my sister and brother that were worried about me I'm the eldest so I've always been the the big sister that's looked after everyone Mm -hmm. and and so it had this wider impact um and I think that can be often missed in the same way that Oliver as a young carer and a sibling is often missed you know people focus on Harry and Harry's needs and Harry's autism and Harry's meltdowns but actually that's all Harry knows and and he functions to the best of his ability within his world and actually it's often Oliver that takes the brunt of that and he struggles massively around having a disabled sibling and and so I think often the people on the fringes of trauma get overlooked and I think that's really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah I, I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly there. A few years ago there was this picture that you put up on Instagram and it went viral but for a lot of negative reasons would you like to touch on that and the reason I bring that up is because I'd like to then touch on how it would have felt for for Oliver being Harry's brother and as you said carer as a sibling as well and how it would have impacted him and you as an entire family yeah sure so we've got um, a really healthy social media following back in 2017 we probably had about 20,000 followers we have 60,000 now and I posted a picture of Harry without his false eye in. We were just having a cuddle. Um, it wasn't gory. Um, you can sort of see the inside of his socket, but it, it's, it's almost like, it's very hard to describe. Um, it's almost just like raw skin. Like if you've scraped the top layer of your skin off. So there was, it's not soggy, it's not gooey. Um, so he, but he'd not got his eye in. 
but we were having a kiss and a cuddle on the sofa and the caption was something along the lines of his dad had forgotten to put his eye in and we we joke a lot about the adventures of harry's false eye and false ear and they drop <laughs> off and they get stuck to different things and and so we would i was just laughing in the post about you know if it's not me forgetting his ear it's his dad forgetting his eye um but we were having this sort of kiss and cuddle and then i came to look at the my instagram feed a few days later and there was a message that said this image has been re removed because it contravenes our community guidelines and I, I went through the normal procedures with instagram saying you know what's happened why is this photograph being taken down i think at the time we'd had something like two and a half thousand people like it and we'd had about 300 comments um and they weren't particularly negative they were you know they were nice comments my community is really really lovely and supportive but the image had gone and so instagram just ignored me and so I posted the picture on Twitter and just said, you know, would anybody like to sort of help me get an answer from Instagram? Why is my son's face so offensive? And unbeknown to me, that just went viral. So within a matter of hours, we were on something like 80,000 likes and, and retweets. And it just all kicked off in a massive way. So my phone was like melting for 48 hours afterwards. We ended up on Good Morning Britain down in London. Mm -hmm. um, I was interviewed globally. So Australia, uh, I think Germany, America, loads of people picked it up. And it transpired that there are there's, um, options to report images when you find them offensive. So somebody had reported Harry's, the image of Harry's eye as being offensive and Instagram at the other end had agreed with that. So that was my grievance. It wasn't that somebody had found Harry's face offensive, you know, people are going to. Um, I mean, my opinion is, is just scroll past. You don't have to report a child. Absolutely. But, you know, there's no need for that, but whatever. Um, but my, my issue was that Instagram had agreed that it was offensive. And, and to me, you know, these, these Instagram big giants have a social responsibility to educate people and, and not to just shut accounts like mine down you know we weren't inciting any sort of violence we weren't encouraging any sort of you know ableism or discrimination at all it was simply a mum kissing her son mm -hmm. um and so i was massively offended and yeah you know sort of conveniently got a reply from instagram the morning that we were on good morning britain uh, i got an email from them something literally like an hour and a half before we went on air and the picture was put back up again but it, you know it, it shouldn't have taken that it shouldn't have taken an instagram battle very publicly for them to realize they'd made a mistake absolutely and i think you're exactly right there with the whole giants having a social responsibility and a social impact because regardless of what people think or believe or perceive about you just because people can be quite judgmental the f they did not support you and they took it down because one person or you know it could have been a couple reported this picture of yeah, a violation the of their time, standards and that's completely inaccurate there was no also, at the same time what what frustrated me was you know there was a lot of um tension political tension on facebook at that time so there was lots of things around isis people being beheaded there was mm. lots of footage and that was all out there and, and nobody was taking that down you know there's a lot of nudity there's a lot of pornography and inappropriate images that children can come across and nobody was questioning that nobody was you know and to me that's where you put your energy you put your energy in keeping images like that away from people but they just said that that was you know it's freedom of speech we can't interrupt that and yet they could censor me for sharing my experience with my son so i was fairly outraged you know and, and yeah rightly yeah, so it, it so. went viral yeah yeah 
and we won so that was really cool yeah. um and i will say actually we, we went viral about two weeks ago again i don't know if you saw oh, it on I twitter see that okay yeah, that was crazy though so i just posted a photograph of harry he put um he'd come downstairs in jeans and a blue shirt so oh i did really see that because you said how smart he looked yes and he just looked really cool so i just posted on twitter and said look at my boy he's got him he's chosen his own outfit mm -hmm. i actually said that he got himself dressed mm -hmm. which was slightly inaccurate because he'd chosen his outfit and oliver had helped him to get dressed <laughs> but i just posted it you know sort of not thinking anything and then within 24 hours we were on 1.5 million likes retweets um and that was insane mm. um but again you know with that comes the positivity in terms of my platform grew more eyes were on me and my charity and the things that I, i'm passionate about and the awareness i'm passionate about raising and then obviously you get your trolls that come out that come with the awful comments and, and things like that um so social media is definitely a double-edged sword and i think the social media the people that monitor social media should be in our corner not fighting against us absolutely going back to what you were saying just now the good morning britain piece so oliver went live with you and yes. um you know they were asking him how does it feel to be like the brother of harry because harry's like obviously he's a superstar but he also was the, the target at the same time how does it feel to be the brother and i can't you know remember word for word but oliver's response just melted my heart because i just true sibling love i know oliver isn't here to speak for himself but how you felt about that i'm sure very proud mum of course but how how you've interpreted that and seen that over the years develop their bond and how that's impacted oliver yeah yes i mean they are they when they were little, they almost coexisted because of Harry's autism. He didn't really engage with Oliver too much. And then they probably got to about six or seven years old and they became little mates, you know, and Oliver would approach Harry, uh, sorry, Harry would approach Oliver. Um, and Oliver's very much led by Harry. So, you know, he will play with him if Harry approaches him because he knows that if he goes, he if he ventures into Harry's personal space and Harry doesn't want him there, it doesn't end well. Mm -hmm. um, is very much led by Harry so sometimes Harry just won't approach him for days and weeks on end and Oliver can be left sometimes feeling that he doesn't love him or like him and then you know other times he's too much in his space and then he feels annoyed and, and frustrated so in many ways they are typical teenagers now um, and typical brothers in that they love each other but they drive each other insane <laughs> and you know and then in the other sense Oliver is a young carer as well as a brother and a son and and i would undoubtedly say that there are times when he feels overlooked and probably quite resentful of the time that i've had to spend with harry and not him and that's really difficult as a parent to, to that's a really you know challenging balance act, balancing act to to find mm. i i feel that you know we we can all look from the outside and 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 see what people a put on social media and just no one knows what goes on behind closed doors but i think because you are public and you share these things i think from a, a standpoint of being a follower of yours i'm very aware that you try and create that balance as often as you can so that oliver doesn't actually feel left out or on the fringes which again i'm sure that's what every parent does i'm sure that's what this is exactly what my mom did with my sister and my dad did with my sister but because you have the platform it's actually really nice to see that without putting yourself down you're open to the the discussion that 
because Harry takes more of your attention that sometimes mm. Oliver is maybe felt like he's in the background, but then you bring him to the forefront and make sure he's the star of the show. And, you know, you spend quality time with just Oliver. And I think yeah. that really, really helps solidify not only your bond as parent and son, but like his bond with Harry, because he knows, even though he's a child, uh, he's a teenager, but especially mm. as a child that he's still completely loved and completely yeah. adored and wanted. It's just the way things are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, that's been a process. You know, that's been a process for me when the boys were very little. Um, and I only know this from looking back now at the time, I completely missed it. There were times when I expected Oliver to be the bigger brother and to, you know, just get on with things and allow me just to be with Harry. And that was really unfair on my part because he's only three minutes older, you know? So yes, technically he's a bigger brother, but they're twins and they were both, they both needed me. Um, and so there were times when I can look back and realize that I probably wasn't, I wasn't the mum that Oliver deserved at times. And I don't say that in a self-berating way. I say it in a realistic way. And I don't mean days on end. I mean, there are, you know, pockets of hours and moments. And when I forgot that I'd got two identical babies that needed my attention and two toddlers, um, should I say, that, that needed me equally. Um, and I, my expectations were heaped on Oliver. And that was really unfair on Oliver at the time. But you're right, I'm very open to those conversations because I think that's how people grow. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think it's a necessary conversation for other parents to maybe look at their parenting and think, ooh, oh, do I do that? Okay, is it, you know, if somebody pointed, if, if I'd been able to talk to myself if I you know, could go back 10 years ago and say, you know, this is how I found, then maybe me parenting my three-year-olds would have thought, oh yeah, that's a good point. I am being a bit hard on Oliver at times, you know, and I need to be a little easier on him. And, um, and so I, I always live in the hope that my mistakes are somebody else's path to a little bit of enlightenment. Sounds too, too I don't know, self-absorbed, but, um, you know, just a little bit of a realisation and maybe they would parent a little bit better than I did in those moments mm -hmm. and do you speak to again I know he's not here to share his own story but do you do you speak to Oliver about it and and how it has impacted him and has he ever mentioned something or a time that you're like oh I, I didn't realize or thank you for bringing that to my attention no we, we do we absolutely do um However, I would say that it probably comes a little bit too late. So it comes, our conversations come at the point of Oliver exploding sometimes. Aww. So um, he kind of keeps himself to himself until he loses his marbles. And then we end up having to discuss it and mop it up. So we're not as proactive, but I think it, it's really hard to be proactive without asking him every single day. Yes. You know, are you feeling overwhelmed today? You know, are you feeling, you know, do you get on with your brother today? It's, it's a really difficult situation to be in because I don't want to be in his ear constantly mm -hmm. and this negative nag that's sort of just quizzing him about his feelings but equally it makes me sad sometimes when it's only a reactive response and, we're, and I'm mopping him up um, but he does have counselling now so he has counselling from Young Carers Association and that's been invaluable that's been really really good because as much as he's you know he does talk to me very very openly he talks to his dad, not, not so openly, but he does. Um, but I think as the child of divorced parents, he's also got those issues going on as well. Mm. So it's quite nice for him to talk to a counsellor about things that, you know, there are times when I do his head in. I know there are, 
you know, currently, you know, he said to me yesterday, mum, you're so clingy. Like he's at that teenage stage where he doesn't want me to kiss him. He doesn't want me to hug him. Mm. And it makes me want it all the more. And I just want to put his face in my hands and kiss his little face and, <laughs> and hug him and tell him how proud I am, you know, proud I am of him. Uh, and he doesn't want that. And, and yesterday he was just like, mum, I really, really, I can't tell you how much I don't want you kissing me and hugging me. And it was really hard to hear, but I just said, you know what, I'm really sorry if I've ever made you feel uncomfortable, but it only comes from a place of love. And I'm very proud of you. And I love you very much, whether I'm kissing you or not. And I'll try not to. Um, but that, that conversation came out of a, com a counselling conversation that he'd had. So yes, he talks to me, but I do think it's important that he has that neutral, safe base that he can just offload everything about clingy mom annoying dad you know frustrating brother and he's just got that safe space so I'm really pleased that he's accessing that counseling now mm. and that's really lovely to hear that not only is he getting that support but it almost kind of enhances the conversation of what we're saying about why mental health support is so validated and needed yeah. so yeah that's really important again I, I'm trying not to ask you every question that's kind of answered in the book but you um with Harry having autism, obviously he has needs and extra needs when it comes to support and education and things like that. How did you find the transition into, for example, education, especially in like the earlier years with Harry and getting that support? So the boys attended nursery together um, up until they were three. And, and during those first three years, it was a kind of fell into this bubble of this is normal life and this is lovely and this is what life's like for my boys together and then when it came to look for primary schools we took them both around to look at local primary schools and it became very very apparent that mainstream setting just wasn't suitable for Harry mm. and as a teacher a primary school teacher at that time I saw this a lot I saw parents bringing their children around desperately wanting their child to attend mainstream for them not for their child but because they couldn't bear the thought that their child would have to go to special education. Um, and that's certainly something that I wrestled with. Uh, and when we came to the decision that Harry would have to go to special school, again, that was a little bit like a grief for me um, because I was separating my boys and I'd had this dream of them going to school together, going to watch them in the school plays, you know, dropping them off at the school disco, leaving sort of assemblies together. Um, and, that, and I'd lost that again. And, and Harry went to a special school and for us the importance was finding the right setting for him it's not a case of you can you know every special school is the same it isn't there are different focuses there are different policies and attitudes just in the same way that there are differences in mainstream school mm -hmm. and so we looked at quite a few for Harry because they and again they're not local so um I was having to put my three-year-old on a taxi and is on his own and he was traveling for 40 minutes without me and that was horrible you know he was a baby and he was just off without me in this taxi um and so yeah in the end we found a, a placement which was asd friendly and we looked around and, and i just i knew it was the right place for harry and i got quite emotional in a good way in, in a relief kind of sense that i knew he'd be looked after and the head teacher that was walking us around put a hand on on my arm and i think she saw my my tears as defeat and she said, do you know what? I know that no parent ever chooses to send their child to us, but I promise we'll look after him. And it, it just really broke my heart in a wonderful way. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, you can, you can have my boy. I'll trust my boy with you. 
and it was the best thing we ever did you know he absolutely loved that school he loved his teachers one in particular he adored she traveled to Liverpool when he had one of his biggest operations to see him um, and he's now in in special school at high school and again his, his staff and his teachers are just like they like family mm. you know, they are amazing with him they came for his birthday with a massive bed sheet with happy birthday Harry written all over and stood yes. on our driveway they put in birthday cakes and the birthday hat that they wear in class you know they, they're just incredible and sending him to special school was by far our best decision but it was really tough going through that process mm, absolutely what kind of educational support does Harry get in a specific school like that so for him it, it, at this stage it's very much around life skills to be fair mm -hmm. um so he has you know the, the standard maths english history ict but they're all very functional so maths will be around money um english will be around reading road signs and, and being aware of what they mean ict is very much around getting his communication and his ideas down and being able to to use some sort of medium to to record things mm. um history is very much around experiences and having fun um and then you've got social skills going out into the community cleaning washing ironing well not ironing, he doesn't iron um <laughs> but you know hoovers he, he dusts um those sort of making his bed so it's very much practical support around him and his needs and just helping him to manage his own feelings and emotions um so that that's the focus right now for harry and, and i'm very fortunate in I, I should say that harry's disability is incredibly obvious and his global learning delay is, was so significant that you know he's 15 now and he functions around about four years old mm -hmm. so it was really significant difference and there was never any debate that special school was the only place for him really it, it was my struggle it wasn't it wasn't an educational decision mm -hmm. um but i do know that parents that have children where their struggles aren't quite as obvious or they may look you know normal in air quotes but have asd or other conditions i know that they have a real battle to get the support the educational support and that differentiation and that one-to-one -one personalized learning for the children that they deserve mm. i'm really glad to hear that harry is thriving and he's getting the support that he needs and that you are sharing the fact that you felt that it was it was your battle rather than harry's battle and I think that a lot of parents go through that. So you talked about um, your charity. And so since you've been online having a presence and then going out into the community and, and raising awareness, do you feel that there is and has been more compassion towards people in Harry's situation? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, in our little town, um, you know, people will approach us all the time and just say, oh, we follow your blog. We, you know, we love what you're doing. And how's Harry? And, and how's he doing with his VTech toys? And, 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 you know, like you've just said, he does he enjoy his cup of tea? And it's really lovely to, to, to know that people see past Harry's disabilities. Um, and they, you know, they ask me how he is other than what's happened to him. And that's a, a key, you know, a key difference for me. And when I go into the primary schools, I went into one, about 18 months ago now and and i was giving an assembly and one of the girls said oh charlie we could be harry's army and we could look after him and i was like oh i love that idea so now when i go into schools i talk to all the others and i say who wants to be a member of harry's army this is it's not a fighting army and the boys go oh <laughs> sorry, sorry boys it's a kindness army you know and it's a it's it's, an, it's sort of supportive and an inclusive army 
and all their hands shoot up and I'm like so your job as a part of Harry's army is to go home and tell your families and your sisters and your brothers and your cousins all about Harry and tell them why he looks different but why he's the same and what's special about him and what's important about him and do you know what the amount of parents that message me on the page and just say my child has come home from school and normally I say, what have you done today? And they say, nothing. You know, oh, you know, what lessons have you had? None. You know, I've been bored. And, and they're like, we can't, we can't shut them up. They've sat with YouTube. They've told us all about Harry. They remembered his golden heart syndrome. And these are sometimes like year three children. So they're seven years old <laughs> and they're remembering terms like craniofacial and prosthetic eye mm. and golden heart syndrome and, and, you know, and rare condition. And these words and these parents are like, my child's come alive because you've been in today and they're just full of it. Um, and that's amazing for me. And equally, I know that, you know, I can talk to 400 children in a day and maybe 5% of them will remember what we've talked about for years to come. But that's 5% more that would have, that would have had had I not been in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so my hope is just that they have a little bit of understanding, a bit more tolerance, a bit more empathy and they go on to their own children and talk to their nieces, nephews, brothers and sisters with a bit of compassion. And, and maybe, you know, one of the things I talk about in the assembly is I ask the children, what could you do to make life a little bit easier for Harry? So I make it quite interactive. Mm -hmm. um, and so my number one is always smile. So that's always my top tip. And, and I go nuts when the kids get come up with that. Like, yeah, brilliant. Well done. They love that. I'm like a performing seal. Um, <laughs> and then my number two is stand up for him when other people are, are being nasty and I say to the children do you know what that's a quality that some adults don't have mm. when when they're in a group and they're tempted to go along with what everybody else is saying and I don't think that's been ever more relevant than Black Lives Matter you know when it comes to racism or discrimination of any kind when you're in a group there, there will be times when people are saying and doing things that you don't agree with and if you can be the one person that says do you know what that's not right or that's not for me and you know you can either stand up for yourself or stand up to other people that will change your life and that's always my number two because I think if, if children can do that from a young age then hopefully we'll have a generation of, of braver people that will stand up for what's right and not go along with what is the norm or what, what is peer pressure. Yeah I think we've got that horrible social construct where it's, it's kind of like sociability politics where you don't want to be ostracized and you don't want to be the one that gets picked on or turned upon if you yeah. if if you stand up and say something but when you become almost like a person of harry's army then it's it's yeah. like you're fighting for the right cause you're you're standing up and saying no this isn't right like you know harry harry's just is it did you say 15 he's 15 now yeah yeah, so Harry's just a 15-year-old boy and, you know, I, I'm not going to let you say nasty things about him because he's mm -hmm. a great boy. Like, those sorts of things. It's it's just seeing, and I think children are probably, they're the most malleable, but they are, you kind of can really dig deep with children for how, how much we kind of say that, you know, we all know their brains are like sponges. But if, as you said, you kind of train and train them early, then yeah. it does. It teaches them to become a well-rounded, better person and hopefully yeah. a, a better version of what we were, what their their parents are now. And not to say that they're bad people, but it's just to empower them to stand up and say, it's okay to stand up to others, especially if you disagree with how they're treating or talking about or reacting to something that they yeah. perceive as, as negative or not nice. And 
yeah, really empowering children to do that because I think bullying is so rife generally that continues into adulthood. Oh, I don't want to put a damper on it. It does. And I think if you start from the ground up, the roots and really encourage children to to take a stand and say, I have my own boundaries. I do not agree with this. I do not accept what you're saying right now. Please do not say that in front of me. Then it, it helps them to become more confident as they grow older and maybe get into social situations in their teenage and young adult lives and years where the social constructs definitely sway a lot more he's a bit ugly she's a bit fat and it's like "Mm, you don't really need to say that do you yeah yeah absolutely and it just encourages people to value their own voice I think when we're younger we're quite happy to share an opinion Mm. and then as we get older we we get socialized out of that um and we get silenced almost and so it's really important for me that, that people realise they have a voice and that it's an, it's an important one and it's a valid one. Um, and so that's part of the charity as well is sort of building up their own self-esteem and their self-worth. Mm-hmm. It's through questions that we learn and it's through hiding away that breeds ignorance um, and, and just that lack of knowledge. So for me, I'm, I'm big on questions. I'm big on people coming and asking me questions. And I remember once when I taught the boys bowling, there was a boy next to us and he was desperate to come and have a look at Harry. He was clearly absolutely fascinated with, with Harry. Mm. And his mum smacked him and he, cr- and he sobbed and she was mortified that he was um, asking questions. And, and when the situation had calmed down, I took Harry over and I smiled at her and I said, and I, I spoke to the boy, but I smiled at mum as if to say, you know, I'm doing this for you as much as him. Mm. Um, and I introduced them and I said, this is Harry, what's your name? And he was talking and, and I said, I saw you looking at Harry. What were you thinking? What, were you, what do you want to know? And he was like, where's his eye gone? And I said, well, he's not got one, but some doctors are making, you know, some doctors in Liverpool are going to make him a new one. And, and sometimes it falls out and we laugh about it. And he was like giggling. And, and I just said to his mum, it's fine to ask him questions. It's okay. And, and she looked really embarrassed then because she clearly saw that I'd seen her batter her child. Mm. Um, but there is that, you know, sort of stigma around, don't ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to feel like that. I want them to know that questions is how we learn. And it, it's a good process. Absolutely. And it goes right back to just teaching children. Children learn by asking questions in the classroom. Children, you know, at the age of one or two, when they start talking, what's that? Why is that? It's just, it's okay to ask questions. And I think the difference is, as as we've gone back to the, the kind of social construct, as adults or as children, then turning into teenagers, then turning into adults, we're kind of stomped out, like asking questions. But I think we get to that age where is it socially appropriate etc etc well ask the question as long as you're not rude and ignorant and invasive about it then ask a question and people can choose whether to answer you or not and I I I feel like disabled people you know no one has a duty to stand there and educate everyone because at the end of the day we're all humans we all have lives to live but I am also usually the first one to sit on a bus and chat about what a guide dog actually does in comparison yeah. to, are they just a snap, sat nav? Do they know where they're going? Well, no, they don't know where they're going. I know where we're going and she listens to my directions. Yeah. If it's somewhere that she goes all the time, like the park or our house, of course she knows where she's going. But these things are learned over time. I'm just one of these people. I'm very open about please ask questions because unless you ask, you won't learn. With Harry having autism and you're saying his global developmental delay is, is as severe as about a four-year-old, 
what what do you feel and i guess it's an acceptance and a grieving process again but what do you feel for the prospects of, of harry's harry's life and and where it's going to take him through education and on to like jobs does that worry you at all um i'd say yes but i know that i saw a quote sometimes that said that one time that said worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair it gives you something to do but it doesn't take you anywhere Oh, fantastic. I love I, that. I love that quote. So when I'm worrying, I think, do you know what? That's just me in a rocking chair. And I know that we'll, we'll get wherever we get, we'll get there and it will be fine in the end. So I used to be really down and upset about the fact that he wouldn't have a, a typical job or, you know, that he might not do what Oliver would do. But now I just accept that as long as he's happy, I really don't care. I really don't mind what he's doing as long as he's happy in his life. Mm -hmm. Education wise, he's going into year 11 um, in September, although obviously he's not, he's not on the year 11 curriculum. And then he will stay on sixth form at school. They've opened the sixth form. This is the first year. So Harry will be the first inset, which I'm absolutely thrilled about because that means he gets to stay with the teachers he loves for another two years. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's going to be a college and that's fairly local to us that he can access again which is is really highly recommended um, and great links with his high school so that will be college mm -hmm. and then i don't know um i'm really not sure I, i'm guessing at some point he will move out and live in some sort of assisted accommodation mm -hmm. we've ex we've had an extension on our house so that he's got his own bedroom because he shared with oliver mm -hmm. and that was really difficult for oliver because harry um, hasn't slept for 14 years I'd say the last sort of eight months he slept quite well um, mm. but traditionally he hasn't slept at all and that's that's been really bad for Oliver and and his mental health and just his tiredness mm -hmm. so we've had an extension so that Harry can have a bedroom and a wet room so that carers can come in and and help with his personal sort of cleaning and hygiene in the future but I do know that he's not going to live with me forever you know he's quite strong already and mm. if I fast forward another 10 years maybe he'll be 25 I'll be 52 uh, and he could quite easily overpower me and things like that then so uh, I think at some point he will live in assisted accommodation and I know that I'll grieve for a while at that point as well because as much as I'll be pleased to see him independent I'll also be sad to be losing my boy mm. um, and, and that's that will be the next I think challenge for me as his mum is, is kind of letting him go and be independent I'm struggling you know not kissing and hugging Oliver for goodness sake at 15 <laughs> god knows what i'll be like when they move out um so I'm not, i'll be just yeah i need to stock up on gin and cheese i think <laughs> uh, that will definitely be the next hurdle for me and, and as ever harry will take it in his stride and prove to me that i didn't need to worry all along and that he's you know more resourceful than i give him credit for and he'll do me proud and, and i'll look back and think yeah i was just worrying in that rocking chair for no reason uh, so I try not to, I try to live very much in the moment if, if, if and when I can. Mm. I think that's really, that's really poignant because I, I guess as humans, we're always kind of trained to look towards the future. What's next? What's next? What's next? And then as, as parents, you know, your child has to reach this milestone and then this milestone and then this milestone. And if, if they don't, then they don't. And it's that, that worry and that expectation, I guess, of even people around you, like, oh, so what, what happens next? Where, where do you go next? But it's really nice that not only is that, that course going to resonate with me, but not only that, but the fact that from just the standpoint of this is probably what so many parents of children with special educational needs will be feeling because yeah. again it's a topic that isn't really discussed so 
saying it's okay to worry and yes, you will worry and where is that future going to be? But at the exact same moment, why are you worrying? Because yeah. the rocking chair isn't taking you anywhere. So you're just putting yeah. all this on your own shoulders for, for no other purpose than because you're the parent and you want to see what's in the future. Whereas I think if, honestly, most people, if you were to say, do you want to see what's in your future? They'd actually say no, because they yeah. like the uncertainty. But we're then, we're almost trained to think we have to look into the future. What's next? What's next? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm sure Harry will just amaze us all and continue yeah. to thrive and survive fantastically. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, we, we always look back and think, well, that was a tough time, but I got through it. And, and mm -hmm. that was a challenge, but I learned and I grew, you know, I grew through it. And, and that will be the same. So every hurdle will have a challenge and it, and it will have a lesson and, it, and we'll grow through it. Um, and I'm just incredibly grateful to be my boy's mum now, although it's not a life I would have picked at the beginning. If you could have taken me back to the day they were born, mm -hmm. um, it, it's not something I would have ever chosen, but it's not something I give up now, you know, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud of them both. And, and they've created the, the mum and, and the woman in me that I, I never knew I could be, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. I think, um, touching on what you said, I honestly believe that, again, if you were to ask any parent, especially those who have children with Sen, they wouldn't have asked for that life. If you had said, would you like an able-bodied child that, you know, ticks all the, the boxes? Well, of course. I don't think yeah. there really is any parent or even any, any person with a disability that's born with a disability. If you had to ask them, would you, would you like to be born like this? You'd probably say no. But the beauty mm -hmm. is the way that we, we thrive and we change and we adapt. And I think that's, as humans, that's what we're the best at. Because, yeah. say, oh crap, this is, this is hard. This isn't going to work. How are we going to survive? And then you look back and it's been five years and you've survived a lot of hurdles, a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. from your path. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm actually really quite strong. We can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and sadly, we only realise that looking back. Mm -hmm. And I think in those moments of challenge and difficulty, if we could look back at how far we've come and realise that we're way stronger than we think we are, and just take things one day at a time and have the pity. My advice, I guess, if any, for anybody that finds themselves with an altered life, because that's what I, I blog about, our altered life, I would just say, to take one day at a time and to know that you got it in you and you just have to be patient, have your pity party, don't unpack and live there mm -hmm. um, and just know that you need to move on and that you, you can and you will grow and it will be better in time. My mum always used to say, and Christ, I hated it, this time next year, it'll be different. This time next year, I thought if she says this time next year, once more, I'm going to punch her in the throat. You know, she'd be like, this time next year, Char. And, um, and she's so true as mums are. You know, so I don't think I'd say this time next year because I know it bugged people. It bugged me. But certainly, you know, um, stick with it. Don't give up and know that you're stronger than than you ever thought possible, I guess. Mm. Oh, that is a beautiful note to end on, I think. Would you like to verbally plug all the all the bits and bobs, but they will be in the show notes and where people can find you out in the world to support you? Out, yeah, absolutely. So, um to follow me and my boys' journey, that's Our Altered Life. And we're on, ouralteredlife.com is the blog, but we're on social media as Our Altered Life, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, my charity is morethanaface.org. That's the website and More Than A Face charity on Facebook. And if people wanted to find out about me as a speaker, 
um, trainer and coach. My website is charliebeswick.com. Thank you ever so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Purple Elephant, Our Altered Life with me, your host, Sassy Wyatt, and our lovely guest today, Charlie Beswick. I hope you found this conversation as enlightening as I did. As always, please go and check out Charlie's links below. Follow her on social media. Don't forget to buy her book. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode or any of the others, please consider rating me on the Apple App Store. Five stars. And as always, I hope this episode has helped you to become a better human being.